You're listening to Agency Highway. This is a podcast for agencies that want to grow their business and work less. Agency Highway is sponsored by Content Snare, a platform that helps digital agencies gather content from clients without digging through a storm of emails, huge attachments, and messy Google Docs. Sign up at contentsnare.com and use the chat widget to say you heard about Content Snare on Agency Highway, and you'll get a 30-day trial instead of the typical 14. Now, here's this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to Agency Highway. This is episode 141 and today I am joined by Summer Oase. Summer, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And did I get your name right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like got to be one of the, uh, I don't know, it's like the bane of so many podcast hosts when, you know, because I've seen you on Twitter for a very long yeah. time. And, it, you know, so in my mind, your name is just text. Until now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really hard when you, you have someone on and you're just like, oh, wait, I've never actually said this out loud before. <laughs> exactly. So, like, every time I'm introducing myself, I always say it's summer, like the season. And, like, when I'm typing it out, a lot of times I start writing like the season. <laughs> and then I'm like, no. Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. We were literally just having a discussion about people mistyping their emails and now you're mistyping your name. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps, so I'm, perhaps. Mis- I'm, I'm typing the um, <laughs> the pronunciation along yes. with my name. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I know. And you'll, you'll actually around. see it in my about page on my website. Like mm. it's summer pronounced as, you know, S-U-M-M-E-R. I like that. And then um, we go from there. See, I like that because it's a reduction of friction. Yep. The amount of, uh, you know, I'm always talking about reduction of friction because, you know, our product content snare used for like by people to collect information from their clients if there's a friction in that process, then they won't get the information they need. And I actually just listened to a podcast uh, by Freakonomics the other day, all about uh, this. And they were calling the opposite. So it's nudge, little nudges to do things right. right. And the opposite is sludge, which is friction. Ooh, yeah, like it's that. really cool. Definitely worth checking out. I almost put that in the show notes. It's one of my favorite Freakonomics episodes in a while. Um, all you need is nudge, I think it was called. But I'll link that up. Uh, anyway, not the topic of today's uh, <laughs> podcast. Um, so you are a freelancer, essentially, yeah. uh, which obviously on Agency Highway, um, I know there's a lot of people listening to this that aren't agencies and are freelancers and might have a dream of becoming an agency. Yeah. But today we're sort of flipping that around a little bit and talking yeah. about how you can create a successful business without becoming an agency. So tell me a little bit about how you've got into this and where you're at yeah. now. Absolutely. So I'm a little bit of an antithesis to for your audience, right? Um, so it all started in December 2007. I graduated, got married, and moved to the UAE within 10 days of these things happening, right? So um, the original plan was that I will move. My husband used to live in Dubai, and the original plan was that I will go there. I'm, I'm a fresh graduate. I'll find a job and something along these lines. And so I start interviewing, and... In every interview, I'm being asked, do you have a driver's license? And I'm like, I just moved here. I don't get, but I will get it. And then the general consensus after that was, um, okay, then let's touch base again when you have it. And so I tell my husband, like, this is a very weird conversation to have in an interview. And he's like, (laughs) oh, I didn't even think about it. And let's get you enrolled in classes as soon as possible, right? Because nobody's going to give you um, a job without a driver's license, without you having your own commute, public transport at that time. And the way was pretty Uh, shy. That's why. So um, I, we go to register me for a driving license and this is early 2008. So 
uh, the recession hasn't hit yet, right? And um, just to start my driving lessons, there was a six-month wait. And I'm like, what am I going to do for six months? I don't have any family in Dubai. I am looking at a big stretch of a day. Um, And so I used to, uh, I I freelance for a newspaper and I would review these events that I would go to, right? And it got, one of them got published in, in, in a Sunday magazine and I did it as a favor to a friend, but two weeks later, there was a check in the mail. So I'm thinking if there's money in writing in a country like Pakistan, then there's definitely money in writing online. And so I run a Google search for writing jobs online exact words um, and stumble across a website that is paying me $10 an article. And I think I have hit the jackpot, but what I really hit was a content mill. Um, and it didn't take me long to realize what had happened. Um, and then again, to get out of that situation, I Google was my best friend at the time. And I just, for the first three years, Googled my way into growing my business, right? But fast forward 10 years, I have established myself as a content writer. I have written for brands like Marriott, Intercontinental, Aitna, been published in blogs like Copy Blogger, written for amazing entrepreneurs like Paul Jarvis um, and a bunch of startups, right? I have a name. I have a referral system that is so solid, I am, but I'm burned out. Like Mm -hmm. I'm struggling to get out of bed in the morning. It's gotten to that point. And I think maybe it's because my business is set up inefficiently, right? And so around that time, Joanna Weeb of Copy Hackers launched a freelance business course called 10X Freelance Copywriter. And I enrolled thinking, you know what? If if there's anybody who can help me set up my business the right way, it's Joe. Two... It was a course slash mastermind, right? So two modules into that course, I realized the problem isn't that I'm burned out. The problem is that I'm done with writing content. And one of the things that I always say is that content writers have a shelf life. Mine was 10 years. Um, And so then I'm thinking, okay, writing is the only thing I'm good at. What do I do next, right? And so um, I knew that if not content, then my next avenue was copy. And so I start experimenting with different types of copy. And one of the things about me is that I implement fast. Um, and so, and, and it's also how I realize whose advice is good and whose advice is total crap and who has no idea what they're talking about, right? And so uh, when you Google your way through growing your business, you get very, very good at implementing and figuring out what's going to work for your business. I like so that, I, by the way. That's a good skill set to know, figure out who's full of crap. And I feel like a lot of people don't have it. Some of the stuff I see getting like, I don't know, retweeted and shared and and the people like it's like yeah. and, and I don't know it's something that drives me nuts not the topic of this episode I just <laughs> wanted to appreciate yeah. that little tidbit that you dropped there sorry <laughs> continue okay <laughs> so I start experimenting with different types of copy I try website copy landing pages sales pages and pretty much cried my way through it I did not enjoy it but around that time a Val Geyser was in that course with me and she needed help um and was hiring subcontractors, right? And so she knew that I was experimenting with copy and I reached out to her and I said, listen, I want to try my hand at email copy. And, you know, you know, I'm trying different types of copy. And the good thing about me is that I don't make the same mistake twice. And I am a very, very fast learner. Will you please take a chance on me? And so she did give me two weeks to write a re-engagement sequence. And um, that first week, I was just researching six to eight hours a day. And I was getting out of bed with a spring in my step. So by the time I turned in my first email sequence to her, I knew that I'd found my passion. And since then, there's been no looking back. Um, I've gone on to work with companies like HubSpot, Pinterest, Drip, 
um, and uh, numerous e-commerce brands as well. And so right now where my business stands is that I am an email strategist for SaaS and e-commerce companies. And I specialize in onboarding and retention for SaaS and lifecycle emails for um, e-commerce brands. Cool. I like that's a, I, I just hope people, uh, I guess, derive a little bit of inspiration from, from the story in that it's just you, right? Like you've been, you've got to this point uh, without having to build a team and you've actually got passion for it. I like, uh, I find it kind of funny that you went from content writing to copywriting. Cause to me, they're almost like, obviously they're not the same thing, but they're like so close yeah. that I thought you would have not liked both if you didn't like one of them, but uh, <laughs> it's cool that you were able to find, find your passion. And, you know, I think that's a lot of people stumble their way into web design and, and agency life, um, and probably don't have passion for it, but might have passion for running a business. But, you know, if someone has managed to find passion in, you know, web design or creating awesome looking stuff, which are, there are a lot of people, right? A lot of, a lot of yeah. designers really love it. Um, I think it's just uh, a good, you know, that's a good story to show that you can run a decent business uh, without having to scale. I think there's a lot of pressure on freelancers to become an agency. And I also love that you mentioned Paul Jarvis because he was literally what I was thinking of when we were talking about this episode Um, because he's the whole company of one guy, right? So we can, we can uh, link up. Is is that a book company of one? Yeah. 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 So I'll link that up in the, in the show notes um, if anyone wants to read it, but you know, I guess that's who this episode is for people who don't want to build a team, you know, like I've, I started building a team because I thought it was what I had to do. Uh, years you know when we were doing the whole agency thing and i went into an agency the other day locally here and i was like wow this is like kind of cool there's like it looks really nice looking office um be kind of cool to come to the office and see like your staff and everything every day but there's no way i want to do this like absolutely no way this does not gel with me at all um (laughs) so um I don't know. I just, I think it's kind of cool that you were able yeah. to do this and it's, it's a completely valid path. Just a random question here. How much of where you've got to is dependent on your Twitter following? Cause you have quite the following. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's interesting, right? Uh, Twitter has been very, very kind to me. I get a lot of referrals to Twitter. Awesome. Um, HubSpot reached out to me on Twitter. Um, a lot of brands do e-commerce brands as well. But I feel like I treat Twitter like my water cooler. Mm. And so if you go through my timeline, there's less about email in there and more about my life. Um, And it wasn't, uh, even when I was a content writer, I was very, very active on Twitter and it was kind to me then as well, right? But then when I got burned out, the first thing to let go was Twitter. I just stopped tweeting for a few years. Um, and coming back to it was extremely hard. Like I would spend hours agonizing over what to tweet. Um, and I was like, I I felt, I thought I had to be the smartest person in the room to tweet something very profound for it to get noticed. (laughs) And then I was making myself miserable. And then I realized, hang on, I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I don't have to write these profound tweets. I don't even have to tweet if I don't know what to write about. I can go in and respond to people's tweets. I can go in and find interesting conversations in my timeline and just contribute to that. I can go in and boost somebody else up. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so I started by giving to my network on Twitter, like my timeline, and, and, and then focusing less on what I was tweeting about. And so as I got more comfortable around that, it kind of just evolved from there. Mm. So like anytime it. a freelancer comes to me, it's like, hey, we love what you do on Twitter, but how did you get that following? And, and when you look at my numbers, they're not all that much. Uh, but the engagement is pretty high. I think I've got about maybe 8,000 followers. Um, and that's a very small number compared 10. to- 10.2K. Okay. Wow. You didn't even know that you cracked the 10K <laughs> mark. That's like- that's awesome. I did not. I've got a, um, um, interestingly, I've got a uh, little plugin here, a Twemex it's called, that shows whoever you're viewing on Twitter's uh, most engaged tweets ever. And I can see that your first one, 12,000 12, likes on it. That's massive. That uh, is that my wedding story? It is. It's about your wedding. Yeah, yeah. F- funnily enough, the second one is um, that you would like to speak on more podcasts, which is the one I replied to. Yeah, <laughs> that's your second most engaged one ever. Apparently, yeah. I don't know how. That's kind of cool. But um, yeah, I like that. I mean, most people that I speak to in the agency space and, and in design are really not using Twitter that effectively, and don't um, I don't know, don't really even consider it. Uh, so I, I like. I, may, I think I'd like to talk about this for a little bit, if that's yeah, all right with you, absolutely. kind of your strategy. Um, because, you know, what you just spoke about there and feeling like you've got to be the smartest person in the room, that's ma- I feel exactly the same on Twitter. I never know what the hell I'm going to tweet. Yeah. Uh, but consistently, some of the um, most common, uh, most engaged tweets that I see are just like platitudes and the most like rubbish advice. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like, there's if Call you ever basic bro marketing oh 100 <laughs> like i saw a tweet just before i came on this call that was something about like you know if you haven't read these 40 books you shouldn't be leading anyone i'm sorry i'm a mom too too i haven't read a book in 11 years yeah wow interesting that's awesome like i haven't I completed don't... a book in 11 years i've started plenty <laughs> i haven't completed any um it's a call out and say you can't lead anyone if you haven't read four i books. saw that tweet too and I, I pretty much rolled my eyes in like school or like yeah and it's a, it had like stupid amount of engagement that's why it was shown to me right um you know, so what i want to know <laughs> what i wanted to highlight <laughs> is that all you have to do is spend a few days on twitter to see what like the amount of bs that gets actually um, promoted a lot. And if you can get past that and actually, you know, it, it might, I don't know, for me, when I see that kind of stuff, it, it actually lowers my imposter syndrome because I'm like, well, that stuff gets engagement. Well, yeah. I mean, I can just tweet some other things and it's probably yeah. fine. Um, and you've talked about there, like some of your, you know, best tweets are just personal life stuff. And, you yeah. know, I've noticed the same thing, just observational stuff. I, I remember my, I think my most engaged tweet was talking about, um, uh, what was it? I think I, I just saw a business idea that was selling for like half a million dollars and it allowed people to delete multiple tweets or something. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's the most basic business ever. How is that half a million dollars or whatever? Um, and well, no, it was doing 500K a year. So it was selling for more than that. And yeah. so I was just like, if you're ever worried about your business idea not being big enough, like check this out. And that yeah. just went crazy. Um, however, Look, people listening to this probably like, but yeah, but how does that tweet get you any business? Yeah. Can you speak a bit to that about like, you know, because obviously you're building a, to me, it's pretty clear because you've built a following through all this stuff um, and you've actually got work out of it. But is there any like advice you can give around that? 
If someone yes. wants to so do it on Twitter. You've used yeah. that word, give. Help mm. more than, you know, give more than you take. Help people. If somebody is asking, like, so many people reached up, boosted my tweet about wanting to appear on more podcasts. Mm-hmm. What? How, how do you feel if they need something? I'm going to go out of my way to boost their stuff because when I needed them, they were there. And so it's it's the reverse of it, right? Give first so that when you need something, um, people are there for you. But also don't do it with the expectation, right? When I sent out that tweet, I thought I'd get two or three podcast episodes out of it. I've booked 12. Nice. And I am blown away by the support that was shown. And so, and what was interesting was that before this podcast free, I had appeared on maybe five to six podcasts um, on my own. And those hosts were did also retweet and, and helped me spread the word. And that was amazing. So it's, it's, you know, it's give more than you take. And also if you trust your gut, to be honest, if because you were speaking about a basic marketing advice going viral on Twitter, if it feels shady to you, just scroll past. You don't have to tweet that stuff. Just yeah. talk about treat it like a water cooler. Talk about stuff. I, I mean, some of the stuff that I tweet about is nowhere related to my business. Right. I was struggling to find an apartment a few months ago and it got to a point where I might have been homeless, like technically homeless. I still had my parents' house to move into if nothing worked out. But it was a very stressful time in my life. Mm. And I was tweeting it throughout. It was a way for me to release my stress. And um, I use Twitter very differently than marketers do, right? To me, it's it's a personal extension of me. I work alone. I work in a silo. So that's where I go to hang out, basically, and get my... And I'm also very, very socially awkward. So I, I like that there's no face-to-face interaction on Twitter. I can <laughs> put out a tweet and then just leave. Right. And I like that aspect of it. But yeah, for anybody who wants to get more out of Twitter, give more than you take. So that when you do need something, people are there for you. Love it. Uh, and, you know, as uh, naturally, I'm going to have to talk about some automation here because yeah. uh, I talk about automation a lot. Um, Andrew Davison from Luhu, he's like a, you know, pretty well respected Zapier expert. Uh, he has an amazing automation setup in Zapier where he basically monitors Twitter. So you can put in like search keywords on uh, in like a trigger in Zapier and basically say every time someone tweets about Zapier uh, and it has a question mark in the, mm. in, in the tweet, he, he gets a notification or like he puts it in his air table or something. Um, so he can quickly click on it. Like he can read through them all that have come in like in the last couple of hours and then like click on them and reply to them and so and he's got a pretty significant following i I don't know how much of it's attributed to that but that i just find is a really cool idea like and there are there's got to be a lot of automation capability in twitter because you know i use tweet deck occasionally and just have like searches across the top with like certain keywords if if people are tweeting about them it shows me all their tweets and i can reply and but i like the zapier method because you've got a bit more control uh i love that Yeah. yeah And as a marketer, it's very—it's going to be very effective because you want to be known for that one thing, right? Mm. So I'm going to reach out to you after this <laughs> and ask how to set it up because <laughs> email marketing is my thing, right? Mm. And I don't always go looking out. And, and just because Twitter is working for me doesn't mean that I can't get better at it. So mm. I am absolutely open to trying new things. Awesome. Yeah, we can talk about that. Uh, 
everyone else is probably sick of talking about Twitter, hearing about Twitter at this point. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I, I'm just, it's a, it's a, when I see how many, or how much engagement you get, you know, and, and that, that's how I know who you were is from Twitter. Like I saw people retweeting your stuff and so obviously it works. And, and now that you tell me you get like a decent amount of work out of it, it's, it's pretty clear that that's a potential way forward for people. Um, but the other thing you mentioned was you had a solid referral system. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because obviously many freelancers and agencies, you know, rely on referrals, um, yeah. but they can be quite flaky, you know, yeah. like it, it's not really something that a lot of people want to rely on because you don't know when the next one's coming. However, if you have a system, then it's a lot you know, more reliable. So tell me a little bit about what you do for referrals. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to disappoint you with my answer, but uh -oh. there is no system that I've set up, okay. right? Interestingly, my referrals don't come from past clients. I've and, and it's probably because I haven't reached a point where like a slow period is coming up and I've had to look for work uh, in a while that hasn't happened in, in at least two years now. So I've never had to go back and reach out to my clients and say, hey, um, do you know anybody who needs email help? Right. Um, clients, because um, my clients follow me on Twitter anytime they, they and I keep popping up on their timeline, I'm top of mind. Um, and anytime they need more work, they reach out to me anyway. Um, so I kind of feel like Twitter is my way of staying on top of mind for my clients, for my leads, for anybody who's following me. When I say referral system, what I mean is that I was lucky enough to work with some amazing copywriters and strategists when I'm starting out, right? So Val Geisler is one. She routinely sends people my way when she can, when she was an agency and couldn't take on more work. Um, and then when she joined Clavio, um, I was one of the handful of people that she was recommending to people. And it helped that I, she and I had worked together for so long that she knew that I could be, you know, that I would be able to uphold her um, reputation, so to speak. So there was this trust factor. And I feel like referrals and trusts go hand in hand because when somebody makes a referral, they're also kind of hedging their reputation on it. Like You don't want to be known as the person who sent a bad recommendation to somebody. And so um, that, you know, that's where it comes. And because I've become known as an email strategist, whenever somebody is talking about needing email help with somebody, one mine is one of the names that pops up, right? So I recently got introduced to somebody at WordPress and they were like, the, the person that made the introduction said they, were, they need an email help and you were the first person that popped in my mind. So to me, referral is being becoming that person who pops in your mind when somebody needs email help. Yes. That's that's my definition of a referral system. Right? Yeah, and I love um, this. Yeah, and so when we got on an email call, turns out, and this keeps circling back to Twitter. It has never happened in a podcast before, but <laughs> the person um, on WordPress also follows me on Twitter, so they were familiar with me. And so this is what I mean when I say Twitter has been really, really kind to me. Um, I'm not get like, I guess I'm getting direct business from it as well, but there's also a lot of indirect stuff happening that just leads to building that trust in my name um, as an email strategist. Love it. There are a few things I'd like to unpack here. Because uh, you know, as you're telling your story, there's just a whole bunch of stuff going off in my mind. It's like you know, it's a dot connecting dots, you know. So one thing is that you've got a niche, right? You're a SaaS and e-commerce 
commerce, e-commerce, e <laughs> uh, uh, strategist, email strategist, right? So if someone's seen you on Twitter, you know, and I, I knew that you wrote copy for SaaS. That's why I followed you a while ago. Uh, and I don't remember how I found you, but it popped up. It's in your profile. You know, I can see that's what you do. I think you were writing about some copy you were writing at the time or something, you know, it's just like, again, telling a story. Uh, it's the whole build in public thing that's that's yeah. going on a lot now, just telling people about what you're working on or whatever, uh, you know, and that's how I found you. So that's one thing is like, that's the power of a niche there. And, and because then you can talk about what you work on and, and then your target audience will find you like I did. Um, and I just like that this is just another way, like when people think about being top of mind, it's always usually email that they think about, but you can totally do this in other ways, whether that's like uh, Twitter or, you know, a friend of mine does this really well on LinkedIn. You know, he's a, he's a bookkeeper. Well, he runs a bookkeeping business and he's an accountant, but he's just so prolific on there. Again, engaging with other people and whatever uh, that, he's top of mind for a lot of people all the time and he just knows so many people. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing you mentioned, which was like working with people that refer a lot of business your way, uh, strategic partnerships. I see that as yeah. actually, so that's like the king of referrals, right? If you are in with someone that is going to continue referring work to you, that's just like, that's exactly what we did in our business, right? So we had like, I think three marketing agencies and maybe like two IT companies were, that was really it. It was five, yeah. five companies uh, that used us for web development. So they, they need marketing or what, like, so everyone always goes to IT companies and marketing companies for a website. They probably don't want to build it, not always. Um, so they would use us. And we didn't even tell people we did websites for like 18 months. We took it off our website. We stopped telling people about it and we kept getting work to fill like two or three people full-time for Amazing. like nearly 18 months. So that's like this, the power of, I guess, all of this. I kind of like, it's it's obviously there's a lot of things we're talking about here and people probably listening to this going like, oh, that, that seems like so far away. Uh, but it really isn't, you know, like that's why, yeah, it's taken you a long time to, I'm sure, I'm sure to build like 10K followers on, on Twitter. But, you know, I'm starting to notice results already building content snare just by engaging with a few people on LinkedIn yeah. And Twitter, like I'm, I'm doing both those platforms. I'm kind of slowing down on Facebook, but I'm seeing differences really quick. I have less than a thousand followers on Twitter, but just like engaging with the right people, commenting on the right people stuff in the accounting industry. You know, I went and identified who, you know, the influencers in that space and yep. telling them, you know, I don't know, just engaging with them the same as, same as on LinkedIn. And it's been you know, already, we're getting some amazing referrals out of it. It would, and it, yeah, I don't know. That's just wanted to. I just wanted to sort of say that, that if so, because I can just imagine if I was listening to this, I'd be like, I don't have ten thousand followers. There's no way, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get there anytime soon. Um, so I kind of just wanted to share my my side. Yeah. And it's also networking, right? Because yeah. I mean, like the amount of because the other piece here is that you met some people early on that have referred you work, and you've got to know some influential people. Yeah. That power of networking is just huge. I and you know I get to notice this all the time. Like I, I did a lot of networking, literally like five six years ago, and then I stopped because I'm like I can't be bothered going to these local business events, and um, that's still paying off for me. Like yeah. I now I'm going back into accounting. 
like now I went to some accounting events and it turned out I knew two people at this very first, there was like 30 people in this event. I knew two of them from five years ago and they introduced me to other people that were there and like introduced me to like people after the fact, now that they know I want to talk to accountants, you know, so getting to know people and building that network you know, is just unbelievably powerful. So that's like all of those things, like that's kind of what you've done with Twitter, right? So it's, yeah. it's like reaching, it's being top of mind uh, by messaging, it's building strategic partnerships and networking kind of all together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All of it. Um, and um, I didn't start out being strategic about it. I started using Twitter as a way to let off steam, as a way to deal with stress. Uh, when I got out of my own way and stopped wanting to be the smartest person in the room, I was like, you know what, let's be the dumbest and talk about my life. Uh, but um, <laughs> so it's, it's and it took me a long time. I don't want to set expectations that your audience will grow by leaps and bounds. I don't want to say that um, you will start seeing results within a month. You won't. Uh, when I, uh, after my burnout, when I came back to Twitter after two, three years, um, it took me a good six to eight months to start getting more than five likes on my tweets. So there is that aspect of it. It's not a magic pill. It will not get you quick results. But if you stick to it, it is very, very rewarding. Mm-hmm. And also in, in the spirit of like full transparency, Twitter comes naturally to me. And the reason I stuck it out in the second time around was because I knew that Twitter had been kind to me when it first came out. So if LinkedIn, you're more comfortable on LinkedIn, if you're more comfortable on Instagram, then stick to that. Um, Don't start with Twitter just because, you know, um, uh, James and I are talking about Twitter, how amazing it is and all of that. It has a lot to do with your comfort level and the most natural. Boom. Yeah. And that's perfect. You know, right now I'm probably doing the wrong thing by splitting my attention across, across both, but it's, uh, I don't know, like free, I, I'm doing okay using both at the moment. I'm probably yeah. not getting more than five likes on my tweets, but um, <laughs> I haven't fully worked out, fully worked out Twitter yet either. But, um, but like I was saying, it doesn't even have to be like, you can, I, I reached out to someone who's a, like a podcast host, uh, like, you know, engaged with a few of their things and then got talking to them. And I was on a zoom call with them like the same week. Yeah. I feel like there's something about the Twitter, um, I don't know, just the way people think on Twitter. See, people tend to be more open. Uh, yes. You know, like a friend of mine often just when he's bored or has nothing, not much to do for a week. I think when he was in like hotel quarantine for uh, COVID stuff, he was just like, um, here's my Zoom link for all of Twitter. Anyone who wants to book a time <laughs> can book a time. And it was just really cool. Like all these people were jumping yeah. on calls with him. I did as well because I hadn't caught up with him in a while. So yeah, that I don't know. There's just a mental thing on Twitter that's a bit different. Um, but I also, I, too, nobody on LinkedIn. If you ask for for somebody's time, they're offended. On Twitter, when you ask for somebody's time, they're like, "Yeah, here's my Calendly." <laughs> yeah, it's so strange, but it's amazing. Um, but yeah, like LinkedIn can work really well for people as well. So I guess the the message there is just like try to own something, right, and become yeah. become known for a thing on in a certain place and build your yeah. little tribe. I did Absolutely. not think that's where this uh, podcast was going to go, <laughs> but I'm I'm glad we did. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that's that's worked for you in growing, growing? Like, is that where most of your business comes from through those kind of through that, like Twitter and relationships? No. no. So okay. here's here's an interesting part, right? So in early 2020, when I was getting serious, um, 
and and as I mentioned, I was subcontracting for a while, right? But there came a time when I was like, I want to break out on my own now. So I'm like the email world's best kept, kept secret. And only Val guys are in Joanna Weed know who I am. And Joe knew me because A, I was in her mastermind, but B, I also pitched her a project, which she said yes to. So she, um, and she gave me a testimonial for that project, which is still a feather in my cap. Um, and so I was like, only these two people know how brilliant I am. And that that's not good enough for me anymore, right? So I wanted to grow my business. And I was like, what do I do? I am a burnt out content writer. Three years ago was the last time I wrote my blog post for a client. And I have not gone back since, not even for my own business. And it, there's just like a physical recoiling happening whenever I think about writing guest posting or creating a piece of content for my own business. And um, I feel like a bad student of jo- Joanna Weep because her whole thing is growing your business through content marketing. And I'm like, I'm done <laughs> Um, And so I was looking around and what do I do, right? And so I realized I'm an email strategist and I don't have a newsletter. So I, when I started thinking about starting a newsletter, I was like, but what will I say, right? (laughs) People like Val Geisler um, and other email marketers are already saying the stuff that I want to say. And so I had a business coach at the time, right? Um, Who said, they're not saying it the way you would say it. So even if it's the same thing, people will hear it differently. And I felt like that was a light bulb moment for me where I started thinking seriously about the newsletter and I was still scared. So I went the safe route, right? To please my coach and also to do something because like I was stuck in a rut. Um, I started a newsletter, but I decided it would be based on teardowns and buildups, right? So I will review emails and tear them down and then present what I would do. Um, And that first newsletter was a teardown of an e-commerce brand's email, right? But it was like a floodgate kind of opened because I started thinking about it in a certain way, right? And I had maybe 25, 30 people on my list at the time um, in that first week. But that second week I had, like, I woke up on a Wednesday morning and I had an idea of exactly what I wanted to talk about. And this kept happening Wednesday after Wednesday until I started saying, I pick an email fight every Wednesday um, on emails done right. And so one of my early emails was how abandoned cart emails are creepy, right? <laughs> and by that time, I think I had maybe a hundred people on my list and it was all through my uh, email um, copywriting network. Right. So people uh, and my Twitter, I would it has my list has growth has been organic in about a year and a half. Maybe I've only had up to a thousand people, maybe. Yes. So I do a webinar every time I'm launching my course, which adds another 100, 130 people. But other than that, every Wednesday when I'm about to release, um, send out a new newsletter, I just tweet about and tease the topic what it's going to be. Right. So last week I was taking shots at um welcome emails, the way e-commerce brands do welcome emails. And I put out a tweet about that, like shots will be fired on, on this week's email. And so, you know, it, it's these teasers that I put out that always get me like five to seven subscribers per week. That's minuscule growth, but I'm happy with it. So anyway, so one of my early newsletters was on how abandoned cart emails are creepy and how, you know, nobody really talks about that stuff. Mm. And so that went well off really well. Somebody on Litmus was on my list at the time. And when the time came for Litmus Live, they said, why don't you pitch us a couple of ideas for the talk? And so I sent them two, both got accepted. And they asked, would you consider recording a talk for both? And I said, yes, because I was in growth mode. I was saying yes first and freaking out later. And so I did it. Somebody at Pinterest saw that talk. And a year later, when they needed help, they reached out to me. 
And so there's, again, the, the connecting dots, right? It's mm-hmm. building momentum. When you start doing something and you are consistent with it, things will start happening. And so for me, my business growth has also been through there. Like 30% of my list is SaaS founders and e-commerce brand owners. Um, and so um, my uh, I'm also getting work from my newsletter. There you go. So we see another, that's another amazing thing. Like a weekly email to me is the other king of staying top of mind, right? Because people sign up and you've now got an excuse to email them every week. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, it's not, it might not be easy writing a newsletter. Um, I thought the same, like my newsletter has been going for quite a while now. I haven't actually sent one in a month. Um, sorry guys, if you're listening to this. Um, but I actually just did roundups of good content because I felt like I didn't have anything to write either. But so instead I would just write a little blurb about each awesome thing that I read that was good for the, my audience, you know, and I got so many nice comments about the content that I pulled out. Cause I, I just use Feedly to describe, to subscribe to a bunch of yeah. really good people, you know, like I think, you know, copy hackers is probably on there a bunch of copy related stuff, bunch of web design related stuff, bunch of tech, news type stuff, Zapier automation stuff. And I just like pick and because I would literally go through hundreds of articles to find ones that stood out to me, give them a read and then write a little blurb. It still only took me maybe an hour a week. Um, and then I would st- I'd, I'd say a blurb at the start. You know, sometimes it's like if I'm not feeling very, you know, I don't have much, uh, no uh, inspiration strikes that week. It might just be like, you know, his is a cool story that happened this week. Sometimes it might be like a whole thing about, um, you know, some advice or something. Um, and, you know, it seems to get received pretty well. And I, it's fairly low impact. Like it's not a lot of work. So I just, yeah. that's cool that that's working for you as well. And it's such an easy way to stay top of mind. So I think that's a good thing for people to think about as well if they want to go down this path. Yeah, absolutely. And there's another thing that I did, right? So early on when I was growing my business and not many people knew about me, I was still like, the newsletter doesn't feel enough because I am not getting, uh, I don't have enough insight on what problems my clients are facing, right? So SaaS founders, I need our friends, I was too shy to reach out to founders and ask for a little bit of time and have them open up to me about their problems. Like that's not something anybody's going to do or trust me with. So what I did was I started opening my calendar every Friday for a 20-minute pitch and cost-free call. And I invited them to come ask me your most pressing email questions, right? And I will help you any way I can. And what happened with that was brands started booking calls. And I did it to better understand my target market. But what I walked away with was an understanding that I had a strategist's mind and I didn't need to know a problem beforehand to be able to help somebody. And that kind of took away my fear of discovery calls too. And and I was like, okay, I can show up unprepared on a discovery call and still, and I basically learned to ask the right questions. And that was just so amazing. And what happened with that was these brands were going away and telling people that I was able to help them. And so that kind of built on the word of mouth marketing, right? Not all of them were active on Twitter and other social networks, but a couple of them were, and they tweeted about it. Mm. And so that was enough to start building my reputation as an email strategist. And you would have learned a bunch as well, right? Like on what their pro- it was like basically them telling you their problems because you said you yeah. didn't know you wanted time with them to understand their problems and you just got that for free, basically. Yeah. 
I mean, talking to your customers is just huge. Right? That's probably half of the time I spend right now is trying to get on calls and like transcribing and taking notes of like all the the bits and pieces that they've told me, like like customer research. You learn so much from talking Absolutely. to people in your audience. So that's a really cool idea. And was it just one one a week? Like how many did you do these? No, so I would open them one, every alternate week, right? So. Um, every two weeks on a Wednesday when I would send out an email, there would be a PS at the bottom. Like I'm opening up my calendar on Friday. If you've got an email, tricky email problem that you need help with, book a time. It's completely cost and call free. I did like it all maybe Friday? How many no, sessions? No. Uh, twice a month. So two Fridays a month. And I did it for maybe three months. And then I started getting so busy that I just didn't have the time. And oh then I God. changed my business and started taking Fridays off so that I haven't done them in forever. <laughs> See, that's that's so cool because it's like a thing you can turn on and off whenever you like. But so yeah. wait, are you taking saying seriously it's just one 20 minute call on that day? That's it. No, no. So I was doing two or three. So oh. on Fridays, I would open like a two hour window. Right. Okay. Created a separate Calendly event for yeah. it. And then they would book a call. Oh God. Love it. Love it. Uh, that's awesome. I hope someone runs with that as well. If you do, let us know how it goes. Oh, there's so many things I want to keep talking about, but um, we're going to have to start wrapping up because this is getting pretty long, <laughs> Summer. <laughs> so this, this is good. Like, there's just, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of good stuff in here. So let's just finish, wrap up with a little bit about like how did you end up writing for SaaS and Ecom? Like what? Because that's the, another big part of this is that you have a niche. How did that happen? Okay. So because I got my start in email with Val Geyser, she was the SaaS queen, is the SaaS queen. Right. Um, and so most of my work with her was in the SaaS industry, right? And it was the industry where I realized that I love doing emails and I have a head for email strategy. And so I kind of fell into the SaaS world with Val. And then when I was, you know, breaking up whips, stopping to subcontract and stuff, there were a couple of months where I couldn't land work, right? And I kind of panicked and I applied for a job for an email marketing agency. I was like, you know what? I can continue building my business, but I needed to make consistent money to stay in business. And so I got a job at an email marketing agency and it turned out to be an e-commerce email marketing agency. And so for three months, I was immersed in the e-commerce world and I absolutely loved that too. And so when I walked away from the agency to focus full time on my business, I was like, I've learned so much about this industry too. And I enjoy it and I want to continue serving it. And so that's how I kind of landed in both industries and I continue to work with both. There you go. Yeah. And uh, uh, the reason I like that is because a lot of people spend so much time trying to work out how to choose a niche. You don't really have to. It's just yeah. like sometimes you just fall into it, right? And that's totally yeah. fine. Whatever works, whatever you're passionate about and whatever you can charge for, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, so there was another thing I wanted to talk about. Um, right. So you, we, we spoke about this offline before about how you are basically a company of one and have now started working with external contractors yeah. to scale um, yeah. because, I mean, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about that because wh- wh- why did you even want to expand beyond just you? Okay. So again, there's a story in here, right? So last year was my first six-figure year, right? And 
this is going to sound so, so bad, but for the longest time, I'd be saying, I wish the time would just stop so that I could catch up, right? There's so much that I want to do in my business and there's not enough time. I am a mom to two girls. I am uh, the primary parent, all of that. Um, and so then the pandemic happened and the world stopped and I accelerated, right? And so every conference that was going virtual, I was applying to speak. Um, and just like, I was so, but then by December 2020, I was ready to drop dead. I hit those six figures and I was miserable. Um, and so I was like, how do I scale beyond that? Because even the idea of making six figures again was depressing me because it meant going through that entire cycle all over again. And so I uh, started working with a business coach at the time. And I told her, listen, I don't. And then my dad also felt sick. And what really, really stopped me in my tracks was that I was living five minutes away from my parents. But when my dad felt sick, my mother didn't call me because she thought I would be busy and on calls. And so I, for my parents to feel like I was unavailable for them in an emergency, that was unacceptable to me. And so when I started working with that business, but I was like, I don't care if I make the same amount of money. I don't, I'm okay with making less. I want to slow down. And she is brilliant. Her name is Amy Posner. She is absolutely brilliant. She helped me um, increase my business by working less. And one of the ways we did that was like, and she's, she, you know, she put out my options in front of me. Like there's the agency route. And I was like, e- no. Um, and then and, and like, no hate on all the agency owners out there. You guys are amazing. I am in constant awe of how many balls you can juggle, but I simply cannot. I have a one track mind. And so instead what I did was I started partnering with people, right? So they get equal uh, FaceTime with the client. They handle their part of it. They own it completely. So one of the big aspects of my projects are voice of customer research, right? And I often tell my clients, copywriting is the last piece of the puzzle and it's often the smallest. It's everything else that comes before it. And so voice of customer research, I know how to do it. I know how to do the interviews, but where I really struggle is to analyzing all the data and taking out themes from it. That just doesn't come naturally to me. Also, I'm in Pakistan. That means time zone difference means I am on calls at midnight, that is completely not a sustainable way for me to do business. Tell and so me now, about it. We're in now Australia. I, <laughs> yeah. Oh God. So now I partner with Hannah Shamji, who is an amazing researcher, and she handles my voice of customer research part of the project. Whereas I then come in when it's time for email strategy, right? And so what I asked her was, um, she's part of my team basically when we're working. But the client knows that Hannah will be handling the voice of customer research. It is as much Hannah's client as it is mine. Um, And so when that part ends, we sit down, we come up with strategic recommendations and we present it to the client together. Um, And then I do the email strategy. I do the email by email breakdown. And now I have certain um, copywriters that I trust, that I have trained, that I can then outsource or subcontract the email copywriting to. Um, But I am a bit of a um, stickler for brand tone and voice for the client. Um, And so I always edit uh, very heavily. (laughs) But it's because I also teach a course on e-commerce email um, strategy. I have, for that industry, I have copywriters that I've trained, right? And so for SaaS, I have an amazing copywriter who, like me, never makes the same mistake twice. And so working with her is an absolute joy. And I know that if I 
give her work, it'll be A, done on time and B, be as flawless as possible. And so um, now I'm starting to subcontract the smallest part of my project piece, which is the copywriting piece. But for everything else, I am um, partnering with people. So if there is, I don't offer implementation, right? So if a, if a client needs their emails to be implemented, then I will I partner with that yeah. person. And I tell them, I am strictly email strategy and copy only. If you need some like uh, implementation and design, then I can go and partner with somebody, but that's going to cost you more. So um, all of I've structured my business in a way where A, it reduced the amount, number of hours that I was working, right? Because now Hannah is taking care of that entire first stage of my process. Um, and then I'm sitting down doing the email strategy, all of that. And then the copywriting part is also off my table. Editing takes me three to four hours max if it's a lot of emails instead of copywriting, which would take me a week. Um, and so I am saving time and I'm making a lot more money. Yeah. Awesome. And that's a great story to finish on, I think, because, you know, that's, I think that's the next sort of stage once someone is, you know, doing a lot of work freelancing and, and, and and kind of burned out. I think everyone gets to that point at some stage. Um, I mean, it all, always depends on how much you're charging too. Like one answer to this could just be charge more and work less <laughs> if you can get away with it. But, you know, that to me, that still counts as a company of one, as long as the, the difficult bit is finding reliable people. And so yeah. it's not the kind of thing you can just jump into. You've, you've, you're in a position where you had amazing people that you you knew you could work with. Um, I have some friends that are doing this, you know, one guy's got a web design company and he's pulled in another friend of mine who uh, has, is really good at sales. And basically he does the sales calls uh, for him and, and whatever. And they, you know, split up the, the um, cash where yeah. he gets a percentage. So, you know, and if, so if you find people that are really reliable and bloody good at what they do, you can contract or, or even just refer work to those people yeah. Um and still scale your business without having to go through all the BS of, of growing a full-on agency and um, yeah. having staff and yeah, all that. Um, let's wrap this up because uh, I'm sure people have got somewhere to be. Commute, <laughs> commute's probably finished at this point, but uh, Summer, where can people go to find more out about you? I'm guessing Twitter's yeah. on that list. Twitter and my website, summerwise.com. Don't take the services part seriously because my website needs an overhaul. My business is completely different from what the website presents it to be, but <laughs> the about page still applies. So if you want to learn more about me, go to my website, check out my about page, um, and then know that I do email strategy and copy for SaaS and e-commerce businesses. Boom. Yeah, and uh, so I will link up both the website and Twitter in the show notes, which will be at agencyhighway.com slash 141, 141. Uh, and just spelling in case you want to, you can go to a website right now. It's S-A-M-A-R-O-W-A-I-S. That's who you're looking for. Uh, not not spelled like the season, but it's pronounced yeah. like the season. And if you want to see me pick an email fight every Wednesday, that's at emailsdoneright.com. Ah, that's separate. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Because of course it is. Yeah. Email's done right. That's a bit easier to spell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will also link that up in in the show notes. Uh, at, yeah. Again, agencyhighway.com slash 141. Summer, this has been awesome. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff in here for freelancers. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story and tactics. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. That's it, guys. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a review or share it with someone you think will get something out of it. That's it. I'll see you next week uh, on Agency Highway. 
Discover how to grow your agency, earn more, and work less at agencyhighway.com. Head over there to get resources from this episode and full transcripts. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Content Snare. If you're a digital agency or just need to get content or info from your clients, Content Snare can help you collect it on time and without enormous email trails. Give it a try at contentsnare.com.